I'd like to offer you my uh, congratulations, Martin. Really? Stage one of Operation Become a True Colorad- Coloradan. Is that the word? Col- Coloradan. Coloradan. Maybe. Complete. Do a big long hike. Checked off the list. Checked right off. Yep. All I got to do now is get a dog and, you know, all those other things. Yeah. But you a, went hiking. Get like an SUV. You got to get a Subaru. You got to do that. Um, I have no intention of doing those, those <laughs> two things. Sorry, dogs of the world. You're really cute, but not right now. Yeah. Isn't it great that we can just drive like half an hour to beautiful? Uh, okay. I don't want to call them mountains, but coming from Iowa, they're basically mountains. Yeah. I guess they call them the foothills here. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, hey, if any of you guys are living in Denver, the Mount Galbraith hike in Golden is awesome. And for those of you who are not, well, there's probably cooler things if you were to ever visit. But it's a pretty nice little hike that takes about, what did it take us, like two hours? I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. Something like Time that. was still in my brain while we were doing it. It was sweet. It's and uh, Tom. today I found, so today I was Googling things. What I have Googled in the past has always been day hikes near Denver or something like that. But I was like, you know what I want? I want something that I actually have to climb up. So I found within an hour and a half, there's places where you can actually like go to the top of like this crazy little ridge. Like, look at this thing. I'm going to do that soon. We can do that. Yeah, you can do that. And Ooh. it just requires a helmet. No like crazy gear and ropes and I don't know, Batman grappling hooks or anything. That looks cool. I know, right? So, yeah, some are, I've already asked one friend if he's down for it, and he definitely is. And if you want to go, then yeah, we're we should die, set this I'm down, up. Probably. I'm down to die. Yeah. <laughs> I figure we have about, like, five more podcasts in us before we somehow fall off the side of a mountain. So let's make them good ones. Yeah. <laughs> it comes number one. Yeah. And so today we're going to talk about how to pay off your student loan debt like a Guru Ninja rock star. Yeah. Because that was our joke title and then it stuck and then Anna made a really funny image for it. Yeah, so we have to use it now. It. <laughs> um, but you know what? That's a more fun title than just how to pay off your student loan debt. Yeah. A little bit faster than normal or something like that. So we are going to get um, pretty technical in this episode because I wanted to basically just dive into like, how do you pay your student loans off as fast as possible? What are your options for getting them forgiven? What are your options for maybe lowering that payment if you're not making a ton of money right now? And the disclaimer that I have to put right up front is like, this is primarily for US students. I'm gonna talk about some stuff later in the episode that I think is more applicable to basically anybody. We're gonna talk about like when to accelerate your debt payments, uh, how to deal with balancing your debt payments versus things like investing and saving money in general in your checking accounts. So regardless of where you live in the world, I think that stuff will be useful for you. But uh, Martin here went and did one, approximately one buttload, would you say, of research? Uh, 1.03 repeating. 1.03 repeating buttloads of research to figure out what the options are for American students in terms of like what the government offers, what, if anything, you can do if you have private loans, etc. So yeah, let's get into it. This is episode 156. Uh, and this is one of those episodes where you're probably going to want to check out the show notes because we'll be linking to the actual resources from the government that lay out all of your options in nice tables and charts and cells and stuff like that. Yeah. And we're not going to paint a mental Excel chart 
in your ears right yeah, now. And I'm probably not going to read every single cell in every table. Otherwise, you're going to stop listening <laughs> to this really fast. It's going to be the most boring podcast ever. And it, it turns out here, if you graduated between 2011 and 2015 with a 4.2% interest rate or lower, then uh, you can die of boredom. Yeah. And that will totally you absolve you, you have, of any student loan debt. You do debt have the freedom. Yeah. So let's put that up front. If you would like to be forgiven of all of your student debts, just die. You know, although I don't know that that's 100 percent reliable. I think that depends on the lender if it's private. I think oh. I think most of them will, but I don't think they're required to by law. It's basically up to them. Well, I don't think debts actually transfer to like your next of kin in this country. I don't know how it works. All I think I like is that there's it's not required certain laws of like there if there's like a trust or something, then like if like if I set up a trust in. Um, little Jimmy's name, maybe that's going to be my son's name if I ever have a son, and then I have a ton of debt and I die, then I suppose, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, the creditor could go take money from the trust that I had set up. But they can't just go like, hey, Jimmy, your dad was real deep in with the sharks. So uh looks well, like your kneecaps but, but like parents are- take out loans for their student children frequently and if that but then happened, their name is on it yeah so if you're if the student died no nobody's absolved necessarily right but I'm that's o- that's Somebody's only probably that's only if your parents co-signed on a loan yeah and uh let me just say right up front if you're a parent and you don't really know what co-signing like entails like co-signing on a student loan for your child is basically the same thing as taking out the loan for yourself so um just be very careful when it comes to co-signing on loans like a lot of, I know a lot of people will, they'll take those, those parent plus loans or they'll yeah. take out like a well, private those, loan. Those like are government. So those will have a few more protections that are better. If your, yeah. if your kid dies, you'll probably be absolved if it's a government one, but yeah, it's true. Uh, but I don't, I don't want to get too much into yeah, the weeds that's, about that's like not the plan, the here. strategy for how to take out loans smartly, because I think we covered a lot of that back in the path to college episode two, I think. Yeah. That was the paying for yeah, one, I think right? That was episode two. Uh, I don't remember the episode number, but we'll definitely put that in the show notes because that's very related to this episode. What I want to talk about in this episode is you have debt. Maybe you're graduated or maybe you're like me and you're like, hey, I really want to pay this off before I graduate or at least put a big dent in it. How can you do that? So let's start off with student loans from the government. Uh, And you did a little research here. So present away. What are are our, our options for either paying off student loans quicker, getting them forgiven, or maybe paying them off a little slower if we're not making a whole lot of money out of college. All right. So government loans are my favorite. They're the only ones that I ever took out. And uh, they have the most protections. But they're also very nuanced protections. So forgive me for a few it depends answers. But <laughs> you can get different kinds of federal loans. So depending on which ones you've got, you can get Perkin loans. Perkins loans, you can get direct loans like Stafford loans. Is the Perkins loans where they like give you a big stack of pancakes and you pay for your classes? They with do that? just give you a lot of pancakes. Yeah, I wish and, those were Denny's uh, loans or like IHOP loans. Sorry, Perkins, but your pancakes are a little soggy. You you just gonna say that right now? You probably <laughs> just lost. Perkins is gonna hate us now. Well, maybe they should stop having soggy pancakes. Soggy That's pancakes. all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, soggy pancakes. Um. Anyway, 
So Perkins so and Stafford, Perkins those are the main Stafford, ones. Those are the main ones. Mm-hmm. There are some you can get like state state funded loans sometimes, but those those won't fall under like the charts I'm about to read. Those are okay. all going to be like you need to look up the protections and the repayment plans for those specifically. They're, you mean they're not covered. You don't want us to list off 50 individual different loans <laughs> yeah. and payment plans yeah. on one podcast? No, I no. I don't want to do that. I'm out. This is why you aren't like the next great script writer in Hollywood because <laughs> you just to... so clearly avoid all of these amazing storytelling opportunities that would keep people just riveted to the edge of their seats. Oh yeah. You're just throwing them down the drain. Okay. Golden so, opportunities. Yeah. So first we've got uh, forgiveness and cancellation opportunities. These ones mm-hmm. probably sound the most fancy because they cancel out parts of your loans Okay, and then you just don't have to pay that part. So basically, I'm going to list off some potential things that might give you some forgiveness or cancellation. And regardless of what I say on this podcast, you want to double check whether it applies to you personally and for your personal loans. Yeah. Every single time you should double check this. Because there might be nuanced details in your individual case. But the other thing is I have had situations where I've written an article and then like the very next semester, the rules change. Like they change the laws. Yeah, and I like I have a couple of articles that get a lot of traffic, so I go in every semester and I update it with the new details, like my FAFSA article. Yeah, like the FAFSA. But there are six hundred odd op, you know articles on CIG, and with a podcast, we can't really update it. So yeah. if you're listening to this like a year from now, there could be a change. So and I, I'm gonna list. Yeah. I'm gonna link to the lovely charts that I'm reading from here. Okay. And each little cell has its own overly complicated notes box, so I'm not gonna read those probably. But one. If you get permanently disabled or die, let's assume that's not your plan. You probably didn't want that one. So we're going to ignore that. But you can get your whole loan discharged most of the time. Okay. Uh, Bankruptcy in incredibly, incredibly rare cases. If if you want to bankrupt your student loans, you have to prove um, undue hardship, Mm -hmm. which is like usually it is um, the Brunner test, which comes from a court case, I believe. And it's you're in poverty and can't afford a minimum standard of living for you and your dependents. You'll be stuck that way for a while. And you've made a good faith effort to repay your debt. So if your killer plan to get rid of your loans is to force yourself into a horrible standard of living on purpose, that's that's a horrible plan. So just ignore that you can do that occasionally. Yeah, let's not do that. Don't do that on purpose. You're going to make way more money not attempting to make yourself live in poverty for the next forever on purpose. Yeah. And can I actually make a note when we're right here? Yeah. So I heard on a podcast once. Um, somebody was like, I didn't do this myself, but wink, wink. I've been hearing that this is the thing to do to get your, your student loans discharged. So basically you can't bankrupt your student loans, right? All you do is you get a credit card and then you pay off your student loans with that credit card. And then you bankrupt the credit card debt because that is bankruptable. What a genius plan. (laughs) They never thought of it. I heard that and I was like, huh? If I was the guy writing the like bankruptcy law or something, either that would come to mind when I was writing it or the first person to do it, like they might get away with it. And then I would immediately write something into the law for that. So uh, we actually have a blog post on this because I went and I read the bankruptcy law to see if this person on this podcast was just blowing smoke. And it turns out, yes, they are. (laughs) Basically, (laughs) there is like provisions in bankruptcy law uh, where if if you pay off non-dischargeable debt, which is debt that you cannot have bankrupted in most cases, 
with dischargeable debt, as in paying off a student loan with a credit card, then the credit card debt that you used to pay off that student loan becomes non-dischargeable. So basically, if you were to try to bankrupt that debt, they would say, hey, you used this to pay off non-dischargeable debt, so you can't actually have this amount of money you used discharged. Sorry. So that's like the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is that your credit card company actually sues you for fraud yeah. or the intent to <laughs> circumvent bankruptcy law. So if you think you're sneaky, you're actually not sneaky. <laughs> yeah, and if you think you have a chance in a court case against your credit card company, you don't. Because if you could buy a lawyer that good, you would have paid your loans. In the immortal words of that girl from Idiocracy, upgrade gonna get his money and so is Capital One. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. it, it's true. <laughs> so yes, do not, that's almost certainly not gonna work. It, so we've basically like covered the things you shouldn't do. Don't do those. Don't try to bankrupt it. So, don't yeah, try we, to sneak past don't your try to credit die. card company and don't try to die. Yeah, don't like sign up permanently for, disabled. Don't yeah. do these things on purpose. Now, here so what can you ones. do? <laughs> here come the good ones. Well, not necessarily good ones, but you wouldn't try for this. If your school gets closed, you can actually get some or all of your debt discharged. Like if your university is just out of business suddenly and you get completely screwed over. I believe you have my stapler. They care about that. Yeah, I don't have any staplers. He's lying. A false loan certification. So if the school did something illegal, more okay. or less, when it was making arranging for you to get the money or it didn't uh, return stuff to the lender when it had to, if the school did some sketchy stuff or closed, you might get okay. Yeah. Now, here's the stuff you do personally. If you are a full-time teacher for five consecutive years in a designated elementary or secondary school or an educational service agency... Serving students from low-income families, you, you, there are a lot of requirements here that you got to look into, which is why I say always double-check. Right. You can get up to a certain amount. Right now, it says up to 5000 I believe, of direct loans. And how long do you have to do that for? Five years. So basically, if, so, if you go teach in a low-income school that's elementary or secondary for five years— It's kind of like you get an extra $5,000. Then you can get $5,000 off of your debt. Asterisk, asterisk, now, whatever. If if you are doing elementary or secondary special ed or secondary math or science, you can get up to seventeen thousand five hundred. So very okay. specific areas where they're trying to encourage it, you can get more. But this stuff, I don't know. It could change tomorrow. No idea. So there's some incentives at yeah. play, basically. They, well, they want you. They need special education teachers. They they are really trying to encourage secondary math and science teachers to help students succeed. So there's okay. a reason they would want you to go into that. It helps the public good. That makes sense. I've also heard that like if you're a like a public defender or you do if you practice law in some sort of like social good area or something like that. Do you know if there was anything mentioned about that? Yeah. Yeah. So there is the public service loan forgiveness plan. Okay. Now this one applies to several different kinds of jobs. So government organizations at basically any level and it's federal, state, local, or tribal. I do appreciate that they included that. So it's any level. Okay. And um, you could be working for a not-for-profit organization that is tax exempt or another type of not-for-profit. There are asterisks, asterisks everywhere. Certain stuff that happens to qualify. Now, you'd need to be working at least 30 hours a week at that qualifying job or mm -hmm. 30 hours in combination if you are working part-time at two qualifying jobs. Do you know – so I guess two questions here. Is this just for practicing law or is this for any type of job for these kind of organizations? This is for any kind of job, I believe, for these okay. kind of organizations. Now, there is a caveat that makes it less incentivizing than it could be. But first, I'd like to point out 
that if your qualifying job is a nonprofit that happens to be of a religious type, then the hours that you put, if any, toward religious instruction, worship services, or attempting to convert people, very specifically those hours, can't count okay. because of church and state separation. And so, if you work at a they church can't reward like you for like preaching, but if you're doing administrative work at the church, that could okay. count if it's a not for profit. Gotcha. But and I'm guessing you probably would have to like record exactly what you do yeah, you would, and you'd all sorts be, of crazy stuff. Well, if you're trying to get your debt forgiven, I'd advise you pay attention to lots of details and record what you're doing. They're Keep your want, documentation. <laughs> they're going to want backup. They're not just going to say, yeah, sure. You know what? Have the few thousand we're just going to give you for free. They're going to want to double check. Yeah. And do you know what, like what level of forgiveness you get from this? Oh, well, this is the part where it sounds really big until I get into the details. Okay. The rest of your direct loans... At this time. Now, in order to get there, you have to be on either the income-based plans or the standard 10-year plan, and you need to make 120 payments. Not necessarily like in order, but 120 payments. So that's already 10 years. So like at minimum 10 years of time put in. If you have not been spending some of that time, the more the better using an income-based repayment plan while at these jobs, at 10 years, you've already paid off the loan. So your loans will be gone in 10 years easily. Yeah, so well, it's, it's the standard 10-year plan yeah. or the income-based. So if you're not using income-based for the majority of that 10 years, you're probably not going to get anything back because you've been making the payments required to pay it off in 10 years. Yeah. So I guess when it comes to this kind of a strategy, you have to ask yourself a couple of questions. First and foremost, like where is your heart at when it comes to the work you want to do? Because maybe you just want to work in some sector that provides social good. And that just so happens to coincide with a forgiveness program. If that's the case, awesome. But then there's also the math issue. And I think there's actually a couple of different points that you need to analyze here. Number one, are you going to pay off your loans before you hit that 10-year period where you can actually get something forgiven? But number two, most of the areas that you would go into that offer public service loan forgiveness more, I, I don't want to say this like across the board, but like pretty much all of them are going to pay less than yeah. you're other not an oil things. tycoon while right. getting forgiven. Like if you're if you're a lawyer and you go work in public service, you're going to make far less than if you go work in corporate law. So if it's just a math calculation for you, um, and you know, say you're sitting on a mountain of debt that you know you couldn't pay off in ten years using a standard repayment plan, paying the minimums, um, you know, could you go be Harvey Specter? and make a million dollars a year defending big corporations or something versus like you're just trying to get people off for smoking weed or I don't know, like public defenders, something like that. You could probably pay off your loans faster with the extra money you would make in the more lucrative part of your field than what you would get from the forgiveness. Yeah. So it could be like not in your favor, even though it seems like forgiveness. Yeah. It's really like if you happen to be in this situation where you're in this job because that's what you wanted to do and you needed income-based repayment plans because you're doing what you love and you're not getting paid as much. Right. Then the forgiveness is awesome. But kind of like the other things, but not nearly as dramatic, it's not necessarily like the number one strategy. Like if I had to pick a strategy and I didn't really care what job I had between trying to get forgiven or just paying it off really fast, Mm -hmm. paying it off really fast would be the better plan. Do you know that teacher thing you mentioned, is that part of Teach for America or is that like a government program? Because um, I've heard that Teach for America also does loan forgiveness I in certain cases. I don't know about that. 
I don't know about that. Everything I'm looking at on here is just from the government, studentaid.ed.gov. It's straight from, okay. straight from them. So if there's any bonus things. Well, you know what? I just remembered. Cool. Um, it probably depends on your loans. Teach for America has a public service loan forgiveness program. They have a Stafford loan forgiveness program. Um, Perkins loan forgiveness. doing this? They're just trying to encourage teaching I don't know if, I think Teach for America is a nonprofit, but I'm not 100% sure about that. But I know that like I've seen flyers up in my school when I was at Iowa State about it, and I've just heard of it in several cases. Oh, well, that's So that's there's also cool. like AmeriCorps. Um, and I don't know a zillion things about this, but I just like when you were talking about the teacher thing, I was like, huh, I wonder if that's Teach for America. And Teach for America does do loan forgiveness. I'm looking at it on their website right now. They do housing assistance. They do scholarships and grants. Like, so well, let's go ahead and tell that sounds like it's a separate thing to me. I and, think it might be. They're just never, ever going to use those words on this page because yeah. I haven't read uh, teachers teach for America at all. Well, let's go ahead and throw that in the show notes as well, just so like yeah. it's an additional no, uh, thing that people can look for and maybe use. Which is why you should be you should double check your personal circumstance against everything all the time. Yeah, I don't know your jobs. This episode is like a. This um, is just a. Here's the kind of stuff here's you what's might bother checking for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like let's just let you know what's potentially available. What's the then... kind of thing that you might potentially get something for? Yeah. Now. Okay, so everything that uh, we've been talking about so far has mostly applied to Stafford loans and direct loans, which, mm-hmm. but does that include Perkins too? Do you know? Now Perkins has its own own table here, but most of the same things apply. Okay, disability, death, bankruptcy, in rare cases, school closed. But it's got some extras. You've served in the U.S. Armed Forces in a hostile fire or imminent danger pay area. You can get up to 50% for people who did some stuff before a certain year. Mm-hmm. This is where it gets really absurd over in the notes column. Yeah. But if you served in U.S. Armed Forces in a hostile fire area, double check. See if you fit. I don't know what year your loans were in. Right. Full-time firefighter, full-time law enforcement or corrections officer, nurse or medical oh, okay. technician, VISTA or Peace Corps volunteer, librarian, Full-time attorney in a federal public defender thing. Full-time employee of nonprofits. So like if you Perkins are, are you, you have a lot more things that you can do. So does that mean the Peace Corps only forgives Perkins loans? Yes, as far as as far as I'm aware. Although technically okay. speaking, that I don't know that that won't work under just the regular public service thing. Maybe it will. Gotcha. Okay. But that's a volunteer position, so I don't know how that works as far as counting worked hours or something. Okay. Well, so we do know at least that the but Peace Corps it says can it forgive some Perkins loans. for Perkins loans. Gotcha. So you don't really have to double check for that. And it potentially just, other doesn't. loans as well. Sweet. So just are those, is, is that the here. bulk of like the forgiveness programs that are going to be yeah, the main options? Teachers and all, all sorts of stuff like that. Gotcha. Uh, so I want to move into income-based repayment plans. So, I mean, if you have a federal student loan, actually, you know what, before we do that, I totally forgot. What can people do with private loans? Well, and this, I know something, but I'll let you. Okay. Do well, what, what I've got here is um, you may want to talk to your lender because they aren't technically required to do all that much to help you. It's a private yeah. loan. Yep. The government protects you, but these guys don't. They don't have to. They don't have to care, and they'll. A lot of them will probably care in dire circumstances like the death and disability. Yeah. But, but they don't necessarily have to in situations where you think that you might get forgiven for something. So, but mm-hmm. they may have special repayment plans or forbearance options or yeah. if you have both federal and private loans, you could try benefiting from the federal plans. 
so that you can pay off what the private ones want. Like do income based on your government loans mm-hmm. and that way you can afford the regular payment on your private loans. Yeah. Or you could try to refinance your private loans to get a better interest rate. There um, there, I, I know that I saw SoFi, which mm-hmm. I believe Listen Money Matters talks about. Yep. And um, like they have some extra benefits and some others probably do as well. Like they have an unemployment protection where they pause your loan payments and try to help you find a job. Mm-hmm. They got wealth advisors. So you may be able to refinance and go somewhere else with benefits. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to mention because it's really tough with, with private loans – to give like an across the board answer for forgiveness programs or any sort of like income-based repayment programs or anything because basically anybody can set up a private loan a private student loan organization so it's like it's the wild west out there pretty much i mean there's certainly there's like some lending laws that they have to follow but they're under no obligation to really offer you anything in the way of uh protection yeah. So if you sign the contract, this and you is said you'd pay the loans. This is the big reason why one of my big values for college students is to try as hard as you possibly can to avoid private student loans. And if you're thinking about taking out a private student loan for something like, oh, I want to go to school in San Diego and live by the beach or something stupid like that, like don't do it because you can have plenty of fun going to college in Iowa and then and then move to a fun place. Without any debt. Yeah, That's you, awesome. You may if you're gonna if you're gonna consider that, then mm-hmm. even more so than the average student going to college, you should consider the the potential like yeah. ROI on your degree, as opposed to just how much do you want to do this? Will it pay you well mm-hmm. enough to pay the loans later? Yeah, exactly. So um you mentioned SoFi. So I do want to briefly mention like what refinancing is, because there is both a federal way, like you can actually refinance your federal loans through the government through something called the Direct Consolidation Loan Program. Um, and then you can actually refinance your private student loans if you have them. And to go even more general in that direction, if you have basically any debt, you can refinance that debt. And refinancing basically means somebody who has a lot of money pays off your original loan and they give you a new loan in place of that. Um, hopefully one with better terms. So, and better terms could mean several things. It could mean a lower interest rate, or it could maybe mean a same interest rate, but a lower monthly payment and a longer repayment period. So a couple of scenarios, say you've got a private student loan, it's at, you know, 11% interest, let's say. That is a huge amount of interest. So let's say you find SoFi, because they do student loan Uh, refinancing. And they're like, Hey, we will refinance your loan and give you a new loan at like 4% interest. That's a great deal, especially since SoFi offers a lot of the protection benefits that you would get with the federal government. Like they try to help you find a new job. If you lose your job, they can actually pause your loan payments for a while. If you lose your job, like they kind of have your back. Um, the one problem with SoFi is that they're really selective with the people they accept. You kind of have to make a lot of money to they have to get trust that you're a SoFi. good investment. Yeah, like, and I like I've talked to the people at SoFi because we've interviewed them over on Listen Money, Money Matters. So it's my understanding that they are trying to expand the uh, the amount of people that they are willing to refinance for. But when like I talked to them when they were starting, and I think they're still pretty much like this. They're pretty selective with who they accept, and they usually are looking for students who graduated in majors that generally have careers that pay a lot. You know, not like hundreds of thousands of dollars, but like 
they're probably going to be wanting you to make like 70 or 80 K. They want you to reliably pay off the loans because they're, they're not a charity. They're, they're, they want to help you, but they're not a charity. Yep. I mean, they, they definitely want to make money. That's, I mean, they, that's why SoFi has like, I see ads for SoFi in New York city. Like they're clearly spending money to make money, but I think they're also doing a good job at providing good terms. They're just being nice while making money. Um, but there are other options out there. There's earnest and there's common bond and there's credible. Those are the ones that I know about. I've talked to the people at credible briefly. They seem pretty cool. I don't know a ton about them, but we can link to all these options in the show notes and you can go read the terms. Um, look at what their underwriting model is basically like, do you have what it takes to be accepted? And, um, the other thing I want to mention with refinancing is I don't know if you're going to run into this with student loan refinancing in general, but I know this is, um, this is like a, big issue with businesses like uh, lending club. So basically lending club is a website you can go to and you can get a loan and it's not, you're not getting a loan from lending club. You're getting a loan from investors in lending club. So actually Andrew crowdsourced loan. Yeah. It's a crowdsourced loan program uh, Hmm. platform. Sorry. So Andrew, my co-host over on listen money matters. He provides loans via lending club to other people. So he can actually make money on the interest of that. And that's cool. And on the flip side, if you are a consumer who needs to refinance some debt, say you've got, I don't know, let's just say you have $10,000 in credit card debt. And obviously credit card debt comes at a huge rate of interest. Maybe it's like 20%. You could go over to Lending Club, you could get a $10,000 loan, pay it on your credit card, and now you've got a loan from Lending Club for maybe six or 7%. Clearly a better deal. Mm, refinancing so, through So yeah, you crowd. refinance your debt. You know, And that's something that's we cool. talk about a lot with Alyssa Money Matters. Like if you have debt, try to refinance it. But the little detail you need to keep in mind is that in addition to the interest rate on the loan that you get from Lending Club, there's also a, uh, what do they call it? I think they call it initiation fee. And this is a fixed dollar amount. So say you get a $10,000 loan from Lending Club, it comes at 5% interest, let's just say. But there's also a $250 initiation fee. You need to do the math on that. So look at the repayment term of a loan, see how much you would be paying in interest in dollars and add on that initiation fee. And that's gonna create a new rate of interest for you. Now, if it's a credit card and you're going from 20% interest down to eight plus the initiation fee, it's probably still a no brainer. But say you're refinancing a 10% interest student loan, that's from a private company, down to like a 7% or 8% interest loan from Lending Club, and then there's initiation fee, it could actually end up being more expensive. Yeah, you should do the math. Interest. So do the math on literally anything you do when it comes to refinancing, public forgiveness, um, pay as you earn loan programs, which we're gonna talk about in a second. Like sit down, do the math, break out those eighth grade or seventh grade, whatever percentage skills and figure out like, what does this percentage interest rate actually translate to in dollars that I'll be paying either in total or per month? Because that's important saying you don't make a lot of money right now, well, then your priority is to pay less per month. So you have more left over to actually, you know, put potatoes in your face. Yeah, to live. Uh, But if you are making a decent amount of money, then it's actually in your favor to maybe pay a little bit more per month and have a a lower overall payment because you're spending less time paying interest. Yeah. And I'll talk about that in a second because acceleration is something that you definitely want to, uh, to think about if you can. But before that, let's go over those pay as you earn programs for the people who may be thinking like, I can't actually afford this student loan payment rate that I'm dealing with right now. 
Okay, so if you have government loans, then there are actually quite a few options here, and some of them are really nuanced and like barely different, but they apply to people who were in school during these years and not these years. So mm -hmm. once again, I'm going to link to these tables. It's going to be useful. Okay. So you've got your regular repayment plan. That's usually usually 10 years. Payments are a fixed amount. Most people do that. You've got a graduated repayment plan where the payments are lower at first, and then they increase over time as presumably you get raises and you get promoted and you make more money. Right. So that might be cool if you start out somewhere where you've you've got a long ladder to climb career-wise, but you got to get your foot in the door. Mm -hmm. And then there's extended repayment plans where you pay for just longer, up to 25 years it says. And they've got pay-as-you-earn plans, several of them. They've got a revised pay-as-you-earn and then the regular pay-as-you-earn. And then they're kind of similar to the income-based repayment plan. And then there's an income-contingent repayment plan. And then an income-sensitive repayment plan. Oh, my God. There's so many so, of these. Um, <laughs> Look at the More chart or here. less, if I were to summarize every one of these, most of them are just if you don't make much money, your monthly payment will be capped at some percent. Let's say mm -hmm. maybe 10% of your monthly income. They'll cap it somewhere yeah. so that you can live while paying your loans. And sometimes uh, several of them, if not all of them, will forgive your loans if you make payments for like 20 or 25 years okay, all yeah. on time. And then they'll just say the rest don't matter. You've been – essentially – you have been um, poor enough to not make full payments this whole time for 20 years. You've done a great job. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We're done now. You've you've paid on time. Everything it looks like, okay. yeah, the repay and then the pay and, and IBR uh, programs do offer loan forgiveness. Yeah. And, and I like these have, because, again, you're going to pay – in a lot of cases, you're going to pay more because you're spending more time yeah. paying down loans. So you're spending more and more months paying interest. But – this is basically an equivalent to like the UK system. And um, I've always liked the UK system because number one, they have a tuition cap on what universities can charge. And again, I don't know if like the new more conservative cool. government has messed with this because I've gotten some emails like from UK students scared that it would happen. But the hmm. last time I looked, at least there was like a 9,000 pound per year tuition cap. So no hmm. school could charge more than that. And then with your student loans, uh, I believe it was like they couldn't charge any more than like 20% of your gross income per month on those loans at all. And like if you were making under a certain amount, then payments didn't start until you until you made over that amount. So that was like a safety net. And these programs are basically like our version of that safety yeah, net. Yeah, that sounds really similar. But the difference is with these, you have to proactively go enroll in them. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just on that standard repayment plan by default. Well, um, so we have all these. We'll link to them because, like, it's definitely worth looking at the charts if it's uh, if it's something you, you want to do. And there's examples where they're like, "What if you have this amount of month or amount of debt? How does each plan stack up?" Um, the other thing I was going to ask you if you looked into was like forbearance and the different deferments of that kind of stuff. Um, you know what? Actually, I didn't, but I know that's an option. Okay. So you can. Well, I've got the loans. page up here. Yeah, oh, basically, got it. Nice. Um, you can if you got again federal loans, then there are options for deferring your loans and just like not having to pay them for a while. So we will link to that page because this episode's going to get too detailed if we go into everything. <laughs> yeah. But we'll link to that page. So like that is also a thing that you can do if you need to. If you're just like I can't. Pay my it's loans just at all right now. Like I'm jobless, but I'll you have could get one like in a, six months. Yeah, you can get like a six month um, deferment on your loan. 
you know, and in a lot of loans, the interest still accrues during that time. So you have to keep that in mind. But if you need it, it's there. So to wrap this episode up, what I wanted to talk about was debt acceleration, because this is something that people ask me about a lot since I paid off all my student loans before I graduated. And I did that by accelerating my debt payments. So if you want to do that as well, here are your options, or here's, I guess, the strategy that I would take. Number one, the fastest way to pay down your debt is by using something called the uh, stack method. Um, and in debt repayment circles, like if you listen to Dave Ramsey, you're going to hear about something called the snowball method versus something called the stack method. And basically, the stack method says pay down the loan that has the highest interest rate first. And that is mathematically the fastest way to pay down debt. So say you've got four loans, there's a minimum payment on all of them, but one one loan has a higher interest rate, you would wanna take all of that extra money you have allocated to paying off your debt and shove it to that higher interest rate loan after you've covered all the minimum payments on every other loan. And that will pay down your debt faster than any other method other than dying. I guess I guess that gets That'll rid of That'll pay it off real fast. <laughs> uh, the snowball method, now this is something that like Dave Ramsey advocates. It's a little different. With the snowball method, you actually pay off your lowest balance loan first. And then like it's part of this debt snowball concept where like, okay, now this little loan is paid off. So now I'm gonna take everything I was paying off on that loan every month and I'm gonna shove it to the next smallest loan. And then the snowball just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Problem with this is you say you have like a $20,000 loan with a huge interest rate and you've got like a $500 loan with a small interest rate every single month that you take money and put it towards that small loan, your bigger loan is accruing more interest. So it takes you longer to pay it off. But the reason people like Dave Ramsey advocate this method is because it makes you feel good to pay off that loan. Like there's some psychological benefit of paying off a small loan and being like, yay, one's off the books. I only have two more left or three more left. So, and I, I mean, I get it. Like I get the psychological benefits. I understand being in debt sucks and you want to be able to say like, yes, I paid that off. But there are tools out there like personal capital and mint where you can actually visualize your loan balance going down. Or if you're a nerd like me, you could just set up an Excel spreadsheet and create a little chart out of that data and then update it every month. Um, and I don't have debt anymore, but I do this with my net worth every three months. I go in, I put in my bank balances, my investment balances, and I see my net worth growing. And that is nice, like a nice little psychological thing to see. So I recommend using the stack method, pay off those highest interest rate loans first. And if you can refinance the really big ones, like obviously do your research, but do that. And you will pay off your loans faster than normal. The other question that I get is, when do I start accelerating loan payments? Um, like, should I build up a certain amount in savings first? And what about investing? Do I invest and also pay off student loans or do I wait to invest and just pay off student loans first? So here are my thoughts. These are obviously going to be controversial because everything in personal finance is controversial and people love to fight over numbers and stuff. But my thoughts are, number one, build up your checking account to three times your monthly expenses, your minimum monthly expenses. So basically you can sit down, you can do an exercise of like, how much money do I need to keep myself alive each month? So rent, utilities, your average grocery bill, your cell phone bill, your car insurance, like the basics. Keep three times of that amount in your checking account and build up to that first if you can. 
while also paying minimums. Obviously, you can't like skip paying minimums. Yeah. But this is before you accelerate. And then also, I think it's good to have at least a $500 emergency fund sitting in a savings account before you start accelerating because you want to be able to take a punch. And a punch means a flat tire or a fender bender or having to go to the doctor's office for something like you accidentally got drunk and then fell and broke your finger open on a chair or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like hopefully that your health insurance will pay for most of that. But most of us these days have like a out of pocket limit and you, you know, you want to have some money in the bank to deal with that. So build up that checking account balance and build up an emergency fund first. Then you can start accelerating your debt payoff. So when it comes to the investment versus debt payoff question, for me, there are two uh, considerations. Number one, what is your psychology like? Are you the kind of person who is okay with having some debt while you invest? Uh, and basically that's like a numbers game because it's usually mathematically better to do that, like to have a little bit of debt and to invest at a higher interest rate. So take me for example, I have a about $7,500 left on my car loan and that car loan is 2.5% interest. So that is not bad. It's not bad at all. And every single month I put some money into my index funds, which are mutual funds that at the current moment are making me about nine and a half to 11% interest based on the, um, the fund. So mathematically every dollar that I put towards accelerating the payoff of my car loan is actually money I'm losing because I'm not putting it into those higher return funds. But if you're the kind of person who just like hates having debt and the fact that you have a loan just like weighs on your mind and it's like a mental ball and chain, then maybe it's worth it for you to pay off that debt faster because the he who dies with the most toys wins maxim is not true. Like I don't think that if you retire with $2 million or $2.5 million, it's going to make a whole big, like a big difference. If you're smart enough to be considering these things right after college, you're probably going to retire with a pretty good investment <laughs> as long as you're diligent about it. Yeah. over the course of your life. So think about that. The other thing is, it is my opinion that you should pay off any debt with an interest rate higher than 5% before you start investing. And the reason I picked 5% is because the average return you're going to get in the stock market through smart investing, meaning through index, uh, index funds that have low fees, is about 7%. So... That 2% spread between the 7% average and a 5%, I think like that is the minimum spread that you should accept to defer paying off debt in order to make more money in the market. And the reason for that is if the market takes a downturn, your profits can take a downturn, but your debt payments are still there. So again, it's like, it's always a battle between risk and reward. And I think like that's the happy medium, at least for me. Yeah. So, and I'll, I'll talk more about that in future episodes or I'll do like a blog post on it. Cause obviously this gets more complicated than that, Yeah. but that's my general rule. So a few steps, build up that three times a year, minimum monthly expenses in your checking account, build up that $500 emergency fund, and then assess your psychological profile. And if you're okay with having a little bit of debt, start investing, but only if you are dealing with debt under 5%. Otherwise, I think you should pay that debt off first. 
Now, with the stack method, are there any exceptions to the straight-up highest interest rule? What if you've got like a $500 loan with 7% interest and a $20,000 loan with 5% interest? Should you still pay off the 500 one first? If you have a $500, so a $500 loan with 7% interest and a $20,000 loan with 5% interest? Yeah. Do, well, you, do you still go for highest interest always? Well, yes, always. I mean, mathematically, if you want to pay off it, pay it off faster, um, don't think like don't even think about the amounts, the dollar amounts, because they don't matter. Like you could basically like lump it all and just like just consider like this is my principal. So if you have twenty thousand dollar loan and five hundred dollar loan, you have twenty thousand five hundred dollars in principal debt. The only difference between it all is that this little chunk over here is costing you 7% every single month you don't pay it off. And this big chunk over here is costing you 5%. So clearly it is logical to pay off the chunk that is costing you more to carry, regardless of how big it is or small it is. Well, see, I just think that's important to point out because you got yeah. gut instincts that you need to override when working with numbers. Yeah. Instinct the big, doesn't know numbers. The big loan looks like like the dragon you need to slay and like the small loan looks like a little mouse. And like some people are like, I'm going to kill the mouse first because it's easy. And then some people are like, I'm going to go slay the dragon. But every single dollar is doing more. But yes, don't, don't think of the principal amounts of the loans to be really any different from each other, at least like in terms of the general principle, obviously if like one loans from the mafia and they're going to come kill you if you don't pay it off and one loans from your grandma, oh, well, that's a different kind of interest. Maybe get the mafia. Yeah, off no, your, your grandma's going to mess you up. You need to pay that. Unless your grandma <laughs> is like really mean with a rolling pin, in which case get me a switch. I would actually take chances with the mafia first because grandmas don't mess around. Yep. You know, they've been through the depression. They have been through their the heart is nails. They're going to punch you in the face. But yeah, just over, overall, I, don't, I think human instinct doesn't work well when it comes with numbers. It's a very no, unnatural thing to work with. Yeah. like So don't trust your gut. We could do a whole episode on how humans are bad with numbers and how like plausibility and probability are not correlated at all and all, all sorts of fun things. But that is a topic for another day. Just remember, higher interest rates equals bad. Get rid of them. Yeah. Uh, and that's about 45 minutes. So I think... We've rambled on long enough about this. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully links. this is a really detailed episode. Um, so I'm hoping that it was useful, at least in part for everyone listening. But again, the show notes are going to have a lot of the links to the more um, detailed resources, the official resources. So whatever you think applies to you, go check out those resources and create your plan of action based on the best possible data. And uh, you're going to find those show notes over at CIGpodcast.com slash 156. So check out those show notes. You'll also find a link in those show notes to rate and review this, this show on iTunes. So if you like this show, if you find it helpful, a rating and review on iTunes definitely helps us. It helps the show get out to more people. And we absolutely appreciate every single review we get. So thank you if you do that. Also, you can find our favorite resources for students over at uh, collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. So check those out if you're looking for resources on how to become more productive or how to save money or how to find a job. All of our favorite stuff is over there. So check it out. And I think that's about it. So until next week, stay cute.